Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We're excited to have Dr. Jill Murray, president of Lackawanna College, as our guest. Well, I, you know, I always love to start with your journey and uh, who, who are your mentors that really helped shape, you know, who you've become and, and led you to, you know, to the path as the president? My, my path is really strange and twisty. Um, you know, probably my early mentors, of course, my parents, my mom was a, a nurse, my dad was a chemical engineer. And so chemist, you know, science gene sort of skipped me. And they, they, they always say that they didn't know how I was their kid, but um, so I was more, I was more focused on thinking and humanities based education and philosophy and history. And um, so I started though, in my college career is wanting to, to be a physician, an actual surgeon, I think. And then my mom arranged for me to see surgery. I passed out like a whole bunch of times and went to the liberal arts. I, I told my dad I was going to be a philosophy major. He's like, what are you going to stand on, on the corner with a cup? Like, what are you, what are you going to do? And I said, I think I want to teach. I think, I think I really want to go to grad school and teach. And so that's kind of what my path initially was out of college. Um, I had some great, you know, undergrad professors at the university of Scranton and um, they kind of guided me because I wasn't sure exactly the path I wanted to take with philosophy. And so I went to a master's program rather than a PhD out of college. And then, you know, as so often, um, family brings you back home for a bunch of reasons. I came back home after I finished my master's degree, needed a job. And um, I actually went to work for UPS. I was a UPS driver for some time right out of uh, my master's education. And I was, I was, one of the most formative experiences of my life. I, for the first time, had experience with business and operations and time and pressure and all the things that, that make business so exciting and fun. And uh, I fell in love with it. I really fell in love with it. And I decided to stay with UPS for a while. I rotated into their management program. I had some great mentors there, um, really fantastic people that were helping me guide me and, and really teaching me. So, so my path has been about learning really. And my, I love to learn. That's, you know, my, my mom would say, Oh, let me give you a right to school. I'm like, no, I need to walk because I need to think. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I love to learn. And, and then I went from UPS to Cigna healthcare and I, managed multi-site operations, both in Scranton, Bristol, Connecticut, traveled all around, loved that. And then I went to, um, finished my doctorate. Actually, I went back to school during that time and I finished my doctorate at Marywood University where I was also teaching in the doctoral program when I finished. And I was teaching a class in social and economic dimensions of human development and sitting in front of me was the former president of Lackawanna College, Mark Volk. And he said at the end of the class, you know, I need an academic vice president. Would you be interested? And I said, I, I was a truck driver for UPS. What do you mean you need an academic vice president? He said, well, come to Lackawanna. I think it'll fit exactly who you are and what you love. And it's, it's a really great place. So here I am. And 14 years later, I, I sit in his chair. Now, are you, uh, are you still able to teach in your current role? 
Do you have time? Uh, I, I am able to teach my current role. I don't right now, um, but I have in the past and I'm enjoying, I'm hoping to get back to that in the next year or so, because I love to teach. So, and did you, did you plan on being a president? <laughs> no. Um, I think once I got, once I got here and understood the business of higher ed, I, I started as an academic vice president, and then I moved to what I thought was my dream job, which was the executive vice president and chief innovation officer. So it was really operations based. And to me, that that's what I loved and really wanted to do. And, and together, Mark and myself and our leadership team um, really transformed the college from you know what it was in the past, although our the previous president to Mark really set us on that path and journey of transformation. And so that operations piece was really fun and exciting to me. And I, I, that was my dream job. I thought, Oh, I'm, I found it. This is it. Yeah. And then when Mark retired, you know, a couple of people said to me, you know, why don't you throw your hat in the ring? And I, I, I had to step back and really think about that because Obviously, being president is very different than, than running the operation. And they said, you know, do you want someone to come in and change the direction? And I, I really did not. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll see what happens and throw my hat in the ring. And I was very fortunate to um, be named president. Well, and, and, you know, being the president of an institution is, is similar to being the mayor of a, of a city in a way. Um, well, I guess what, what has been the biggest surprise to you? That's a great question because, I'll, and I'll use the mayor analogy as an example, and that is politics. <laughs> um, you know, Scranton, that's where we're located, Scranton, Pennsylvania. And so it's, um, it's a very political town, region, area. And, you know, I, I'm a lifer, so I, I really spent the vast majority of my life here. And I continue to be surprised by some of the, the level of politics that are practiced. Um, that doesn't mean it's all bad, but just, you know, learning how to navigate those waters is, is somewhat challenging. So that's been, I, I say a little bit of a surprise. The second probably biggest surprise to me is, uh, you know, cause I, I was, I started in the middle of COVID. I started in July 1 of 2020. And so coming out of COVID, how the landscape of higher ed has changed so dramatically just in, the, in that short period of time from people questioning the value of higher education to the learning loss of high school students and us, you know, where, where do we stand in that whole realm? And so that's been a little bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you have a long history starting back in 1894. And, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about the enrollment cliff and a number of institutions, you know, being challenged and bringing in high school students because of that declining uh, high school numbers. But, you know, I always look at, you know, institutions like yourself that, that have been around so long, um, you know, as as resilient. And, you know, you've been through cliffs, you've been through wars, you've been through a lot of challenging times. Can you talk a little bit about about your history and how you've been able to sustain and thrive. Sure. So in terms of the college's history, um, we're a very resilient, gritty place. You know, 
we uh, we started way back when, as you said, in 1894. And you know, we're an we we are an anthracite coal region. That's where we started. And so the purpose of the Scranton Business College way back when was to get the the breaker boys out of the mines and into the into the banks. And so we're used to navigating, you know, different kinds of economic turns, twists, downturns, upturns, and that that resiliency. And that ability to be entrepreneurial and business focused, industry minded, has stayed with us really our entire history. And we've had some ups and downs until somewhere, you know, we, we were in really bad shape in the early 90s and until this guy named Ray Angeli came along and saved us. He was a, you know, he was a very entrepreneurial spirit and guy and you know, just started to say, let's take some chances here and let's let's go back to our roots and be resilient. And what what kind of industry focused programs do we need to start? We're not a traditional we don't need to we don't need to do what everybody else is doing. How do we be how can we approach this in a different way? And that started everybody's minds working differently. And so since his time here, almost 30 years ago, uh, that's the path we've been on from Ray to Mark and then now to myself and our team's focus has really been on building programs that lead to family sustainable wage jobs and transforming people's lives and, and moving people from one socioeconomic status in class to another. When did you become a four-year institution? We became a four-year institution about six years ago. We, um, you know, we were so we're the private version of a community college. We were the junior college, right? That's what that is, the private version of community college. And for so long, we've had students say, Oh God, I wish I could stay. I wish, you know, I finished my associate's degree. I'd love to stay here with you. And, you know, we decided for our long-term growth and sustainability, we needed to add some measure of bachelor's degrees. We weren't going to add everything. Unfortunately for me, we're not going to add a philosophy degree, probably. But we're going to add, you know, industry degrees in the four-year space or in the bachelor space because some of our degrees are three years mm-hmm. um, in the bachelor space that would translate to um, job readiness and job attainability, and that's where we have focused. And so, about six years ago, we became a bachelor's institution. Well, and, and the competition, you know, the market is so saturated, especially up in the Northeast. Um, you know, how, how is Lackawanna able to, able to compete and get students? Well, that's a million dollar question for everyone, right? Um, we've, we've done well for ourselves. In fact, we were named by the Chronicle of Education in 2021, the fastest growing college in the country in our category, which is bachelor's institution associates degrees primary. And that was a real Um, we didn't, I had no idea that that was actually happening until someone called me and said, you're on the list and you're number one. How did that happen? Um, you know, our eyes been on the prize of trying to focus on the community in our region. So we have six satellite centers in and around Northeastern and central Pennsylvania. And so we locate in communities that need us that don't really have access to, a higher education or continuing education in those areas. And we focus on, we're an open enrollment institution, very much like a community college. 
So for us, it's not just about access, but opportunity. And students in this region, you know, our, our local public schools have 85% plus poverty rates. There's a large series of immigrant populations in and around the area that from a traditional standpoint would not be deemed as college ready. And so they come to us for help, for access, and for uh, an opportunity to change their lives. And that's how we, so that's how we draw students. One of the reasons we draw students. The second reason we draw students is the programs we have. So heavy focus on healthcare, heavy focus on industry programs, heavy focus on industry informed programs. So we're not just gonna create um, a degree like we have in, a, we have a school of petroleum and natural gas uh, in our Tunkhannock Center, which is about 30 minutes Northwest of us. And, you know, that curriculum that we built for the natural gas industry, you know, is built based on what we learned from and continue to understand of the industry. And so we sequence everything out based on what they give us. And that's true of our healthcare programs. It's true of our business programs and industry programs. It's true of what we're starting in a few um, months with our Center for Technology Innovation, all industry informed, and that leads to jobs. And so when they come to us, they're virtually guaranteed a job. And you, you have roughly 1,900 students today, is that right? Yeah, give or take. Um, we're, you know, our, our little over 2,000, I think, all in now, which is fantastic for us. And by 2025, we're, we're aiming to be at 2,500 students. Okay. And so how, how, how big can you get or how big do you want to get? You mentioned 2,500 is the goal. Is that, is that the max? Is that your capacity? It's not our capacity. You know, I'll go back to one question you asked before, what surprised us. The other piece that surprised us was the amount of students who want to maintain an online presence. Hmm. That has also been shocking to us because pre-COVID, that was not the case at all. Um, and so we have capacity from an online um, environment. Our online program is really, really good, award-winning and um, really engaging for students. And so our online outcomes are as good as our on-ground outcomes, which is wonderful for us. So I think our capacity is, is really limitless. I think our challenge is how do we scale certain programs, right? So those there's a severe nursing shortage across the country. How do we scale our nursing program? You know, our accreditation binds us to certain cohort sizes or group sizes starting, um, starting class sizes. And so how do we partner with industry to be able to have enough clinical instructors to scale it? Instead of taking 20 students, how do we take 50 students? Instead of taking 50 students, how do we take 100 students? So that's that's for us the challenge. I don't think there is a limit in terms of physical or online presence or our growth. I think the challenge for us is how do we scale and keep our tuition, you know, room and board and fees, which is right now the lowest private college tuition and fees in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. How do we keep it so it's still affordable for students? So those are the challenges that we face every day. Well, how are you engaging the local community? And, and businesses to really ensure that students uh, are career ready when they graduate? Boy, that's, that's really what society needs and wants today, right? The post-COVID life is so different 
than pre-COVID life. And the workforce has changed dramatically. And so it is probably more incumbent on us now to partner with business and industry for job readiness, for workforce readiness than probably we ever have before. Because it's not just that students need or want or employers want a student that's educated. They need skills ready and they need life skills readiness, right? They need to be able to communicate. They need to be able to talk, not just you know text and, and be through communication on a mobile device. They need to be able to think critically, you know, how to problem solve. And so we engage, we have advisory groups, we have an industry-informed curriculum, as I said before, in various ways. We constantly, I myself, um, engage with industry continuously as we're starting now our Center for Technology Innovation with Robotics, Electric Vehicle and Advanced Technology. Um, we're with industry all the time. And so those conversations inform not just the path or the, the content of the curriculum, but the sequence of the curriculum. And you know, what are the pieces inside these competencies that we need to focus on? How do we help students be able to think through critically you know, solving problems in an industry setting that's really different than the classroom setting? So we're very hands-on, very experiential learning-based, and that has proved to be uh, one of the hallmarks of our success. So with so many institutions out there, you know, and especially up in the Northeast, but nationwide, how do you make sure that you are finding and retaining the best faculty? Well, that's a challenge. You know, we're, we're, we're lucky in many ways. You know, our, 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 instit our faculty are really mission-based. Uh, they love teaching our students. And so the faculty we have, we've had for a while now, probably, you know, a good, in a good clip, probably 15 years, about 15 years ago, we had a whole bunch of turnover, people retiring and so on. But we really, we really developed a, a process around faculty development that I think is worth it. I'll give you an example. When we hire a faculty member, we don't, we assume that they know their discipline. We don't assume that they know how to teach well. And so we put them through a year long rotation through our center um, for teaching and learning and teach them our standards of what it means to be an excellent teacher. And they go through that year long, we take their course load down and we put them through this rigorous process and help them with other faculty members who, who come in together with them or for other program directors. And then we bring guest speakers in and other students who have had the benefit of learning from faculty who've gone through the Center for Teaching and Learning. That's been wildly successful. And so that coupled with, you know, we're, we're a really great organization in terms of healthcare benefits and some of the other pieces that, that work, but also because um, I, we, our faculty really like that experiential learning component. It's not chalk and talk. It's not, it's not theory-based only. It's application of knowledge. They love to teach that, and our kids love to learn like that. I say kids, our students. I always say kids. I'm old now. So. <laughs> what I, and I think, you know, when you look at student persistence, you know, and, and persistence through to graduation, that's obviously critical for all institutions. 
But what do you do at Lackawanna to ensure that you're achieving the highest rate possible so that, you know, and that students, hey, the kids are happy, they persist, and obviously they graduate. What's, what's, uh, what measures do you have in place to achieve, uh, to achieve that goal? We're looking at, you are what you measure, right? And so um, I learned that from industry a long time ago. And so we have, we're looking at it constantly. We're looking at graduation rates and retention rates. And because we are very much like a community college where open enrollment and access points are, are many, there are a lot of students who, who come in and out of our institution, right? And so they want an opportunity to see what college is like. Not all of them succeed, but they do at some point usually come back. That's what we're finding from, from our group. But we also have a very high touch model, and that sounds probably worse than I mean it. Um, that is to say that we have students, we have a student success um, division that is unbelievable. They came from the ranks of the college. They understand and have had many um, opportunities throughout the college to, to love and know our students. And they, that process inside that student success group has been wildly successful. So we have mental health services, we have tutoring, we have counseling, you know, we have advising services. Some of the things that of course, a lot of other institutions do, but our focus is really on helping students with their life challenges as much as their academic challenges. And that's what we're built for. Not every college is built for that, understands that that is a value um, or can have that time. So we, we've chosen to focus as much on life skills, life preparation, life challenges, thinking through those, those opportunities for students, helping them think through that, as well as work challenges. How do you, how do you get your kids to daycare? How do you afford transportation? Um, those are the ways that we have modeled success. And that's what we're, one of the things that we're most proud of. Mm -hmm. Are you adding more online programs? I mean, are you allowing students to, you know, take courses in a, in a hybrid type of fashion? We have more online classes this year than we ever have in the past. Again, surprise, surprise to us. We've also added a lot of, in our hybrid format, which we, um, that, was, that has been a strategy for us. What again is surprising is that students really do want more online than they do hybrid. At least for this year, those trends kind of ebb and flow. Um, but we have degrees that are solely online and we're gonna continue to think about how we add dimensions you know, more to those programs and to others as well. So, and, and almost every major we have has some online components. So there isn't a student that comes to us that doesn't have to take some online classes um, or have an online exposure at least. So, and that has been, uh, that has been good for us. And I think it's been good for the students. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned, how many satellite campuses do you have? Six satellite campuses in and around Northeastern Pennsylvania. Okay, and then are they all degree specific? I mean, who attends those satellite campuses? Depends on the center. So, for example, in, in Tunkhannock, as I mentioned before, is our School of Petroleum and Natural Gas, and that's really focused on um, oil and gas technology, engineering-based technology program with regard to the natural gas industry. And that is focused on all phases of that industry. So it's upstream, midstream, downstream, um, 
production, sales, transportation, all of those pieces of the industry. But that center also has general education, business degrees, human services, criminal justice, and so on. So we have, that is located in an area where there's probably four or five different school districts that feed that center as well. Um, and in the other areas, mostly general education degrees or humanities-based degrees, but we're always looking to add some of those specialty programs, those niche healthcare programs or technology-based programs um, for each center in those regions based on what the areas need. In Pennsylvania, you have some very rural and agrarian-based uh, communities. You have some others that are very technology-based. So it really depends on the area. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, you're in your office right now, it looks like. I am. Do you have any prized possessions, any pictures, any books, anything like that that you could point to and have a story? Right behind me, right here. Yeah. Okay. It's a picture of our building, which is really uh, our main building in, in Scranton, which is an old high school, which is my high school, Scranton Central. Um, it's a beautiful, spectacular, you know, building. I, I have sort of an homage to our industrial base in Scranton. So everything is very kind of industrial look. You can see the pipes and the shelves and things like that. And of course, I'm a philosopher and a reader. And so I have lots of books, you know, from my history that I always pull out. You know, I need, I need some, sometimes I need like my philosophy fix or I need a leadership fix um, that helps me sort of get through the day <laughs> and get through some of these times of challenge. You know, I just like, okay, I'm going to close my door and then pull out, you know, book X or Y or Z. Absolutely. How do you make sure that students are prepared for a job that doesn't exist today? That is really a, a wonderful question. I will tell you that our team, our leadership team and our, our staff and our, our faculty are very forward thinking. They're very also avid voracious readers and thinkers about the future. And so we've always been a step ahead. The last 20 so or so years, we've always anticipated trends. And we've anticipated trends because we talk to lots of people. We talk to industry professionals. We're always embedded in what's happening out there. We're always readers. And so I think if there's one thing that we do well, it's anticipate um, some of the trends for the future. So as we come out of COVID, if COVID's done nothing, it has increased the pace of automation and change with regard to industry technology. And so prior to COVID, we had ready, we had um, begun our vision for our Center for Technology Innovation and we're starting robotics and integrated technologies. And that includes you know, uh, engineering-based electricity, PLCs, robotics uh, programs, which is, really what's neat. We're in a very heavy industrial distribution area in the Northeast. We're right, you know, at the center of 81, 80 going across the country and uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike, 81 going south all the way. So um, we're in a very interesting area from a transportation logistics perspective, and we need automation. We need to serve the population for automation. There isn't a robotics program and advanced technology program in the region. We also know that EVs, whether you know people think they're actually coming or not, they're coming. And so, you know, these big automakers are all in. You know, the chips are in; they're on the table. And we start decided to start an electric vehicle and advanced automotive program. 
for our region. And that is the first of its kind uh, in the Northeastern section of the United States. It's, again, it's a two-year degree. It's very much diagnostic technician, advanced technologies, you know, understanding everything about that vehicle, but also from a logistics standpoint, charging station locations, helping our community understand, plan out the urban planning aspect of where you have bus charging stations and so on. So it's a really unique and interesting program. And then we also, although we have a cybersecurity program today, our cybersecurity program, the thread of cybersecurity is going to run through our robotics technology program, our EV technology program, our augmented reality, and our artificial intelligence programs. So that's where we, we have focused and anticipated some trends and our, our chips are on the table too. So I think that's how we've been able to do it. We're, we're hedging our bets and I think we're, we're on the right track. Well, and in, and in my estimation, I mean, those are clear differentiators. I mean, when you look at programs that, that focuses on EV and robotics uh, and, and petroleum and natural gas, and then also health sciences. So programs around cardiacs, uh, sonography and diagnostics and vascular technology. <clears throat> Again, to me, those are, those are programs that will help you differentiate from other institutions. How do you make, and maybe this is more of a marketing question as well, but how do you make sure that that students that you're trying to attract know about these programs? That's, <laughs> that's a hard one. And, and it's hard because if you're, a, it, you know, we attract, of course, a, a standard high school student. And so, so a student in high school, when they think of healthcare, they think of being a doctor and being a nurse. That's it. That's all they really know. And so exposing them to what an ultrasound technician does or what a physical therapist does or an occupational therapist assistant or a surge tech, you know, they don't know and understand that. And so what we try to do is we have great relationships with our high schools in our region. We often go to these high schools and do presentations or bring them on site and take them through our labs. We have presentations that we give. And so it is at that point once we get a student here or captive, so to speak, or we are in front of them in the high school, we get to educate them about that. But it is a challenge. I don't think there's any one of us in any, any education, higher education space that isn't challenged by having students attracted to a program rather than a space, right? So a student will go to a college and they'll see the rock walls and the lazy rivers and the great pools and, you know, the green space. We don't have a lot of that because we're an urban campus. We're very austere in what we offer. And so we attract a student by our affordability and the programs that we offer. So when we get them here, that's when we, we begin to educate them. And not every student wants the lazy rivers and the rock walls and paying $60,000 a year for tuition. Um, they want to come here, get an education and get a job and be able to provide for their families. And we're very much a commuter-based school. So our students that are here are gonna stay here. They're gonna raise families here. They're gonna buy houses and buy cars and go to eat in our restaurants. And so we need to make sure that there is a good space for them to have family sustainable wage jobs and that they're good citizens. So how many students are on campus? Um, so in, in some form or fashion at our main campus, we have about a thousand students, um, either physically present or online or some hybrid of that. At the centers, we have, you know, that's the rest of our, the remainder of our student population. 
for all over the region. Again, some, some form or fashion of that is um, our online students, but we have also a lot of, we have 350 beds for resident populations. So we, you know, we're not anticipating expanding that at this point yet, but, um, and that's a lot of our athletes. We have a tremendous athletic program and, and lots of student, you know, kids in the NFL now. So that, that helps us. And I know a majority of your students are, are in state, but do you also look to recruit out of state and or internationally? We're, we don't recruit heavily from an international on the international space, except for athletics. Um, at least right now, we're beginning to expand that by program. So, for example, in, in the School of Petroleum and Natural Gas, we have a lot of interest internationally for students to be sent here and, and, and educated or for us to start a campus in uh, across the pond, so to speak. Um, in terms of students that are out of state, we have we do have a lot of students that are out of state. We're very close to the New York Southern Tier New York uh, border with our Tawanda Center not too far from our Tenkanic Center School of Petroleum and Natural Gas. We have some New York students as well. Our athletics programs bring us students from all over the country. So we have students from just about every state as well. And with this new program in, in our Center for Technology Innovation with robotics and EVs, we've launched a national recruiting campaign. So we anticipate um, a more wide range domestic student coming our way. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you get this question a lot or maybe you don't hear it at all but does the show the office help with the brand <laughs> recognition of the town of the school every time every time it you know it it continues to just baffle me right so um students in gen z in this generation that are in high school coming out of high school love the office and so you know we always somebody always bring our you know our admissions folks always bring something with regard to the office and i get oh Oh yeah, okay. I know exactly where that is. Oh, good. So yes, it helps us tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you see Lackawanna? Where do you see the institution in 10 years? Well, I'll tell you, I think we're, we're certainly on an upward trajectory right now. I, I, it is my hope and desire that our, that our college becomes continues to, to evolve as a destination for, you know, in-demand programs for high priority occupations and for a place and a destination where people can come and change their lives and their circumstances, right? As an open enrollment institution, we have access points that others don't. And we have the opportunity and the will and the skill to be able to help students who don't think they are college material and who, who don't think that they can muster a program where there's you know, science-based technologies that they didn't sort of anticipate before. They think robots are cool, but there's math. And so you know, we, we can help you, right? We can help these students. And that's, that's kind of what we do. I, I think our, our future is really limitless. And so 10 years from now, I'd like us to be a destination, a, a, a thriving urban campus, we, we were named uh, one of the world's most innovative companies in 2021 by Fast Company Magazine for our Level Up program, which is our relationships with our high schools in our region. These kids are coming out of high school with a, an associate's degree already, right? So they're saving 
millions of dollars in college tuition. You know, we have, um, this is our fourth graduating class. Well, our students will have saved $3 million in college tuition before they graduate from high school all in. So, you know, I hope that we're a destination for local high schools. I hope that we're a destination and place where people think that interesting things are going on and that we're a place where people want to come and work and be and, and change lives every day. Cause that's, that's who we are. That's what we do. And, and that's where I hope in 10 years, that's where known for. Well, and can you, you mentioned uh, level up. <clears throat> can you expand on that a little bit? Because I know that the value of education is being challenged today and affordability is always, you know, front and center, you know, with, with parents and with students. So can you talk about the benefits of level up? Sure. Sure. Level Up was designed way back in, it seems like forever ago now, 2017, was conceptualized. And we always had what is known, you may know this term, and many of you, your audience will know too, is dual enrollment. So a student can take a class while they're in high school and get college credit for it, whether that's at their high school or it could be on a college campus. And usually it's a student might take a class here, a class there. They want to get math out of the way. They want to get public speaking out of the way so they don't have to worry about it and stress about it as their freshman year in college. And so we, what we decided to do with, with the challenges of college affordability was build kind of an advanced conceptual, a conceptually advanced notion of dual enrollment. And that is where a student can take clusters of credits, anywhere from 12 to 60 credits, and explore a discipline. So a student will say, boy, I really am interested in criminal justice. I don't know what criminal justice is. And so we design a pathway for them, for these high school students, to be able to take some introductory classes, maybe some, you know, some really interesting classes about serial killers or, you know, um, different kind of methodologies in terms of juvenile justice and things just to give them a really interesting exploration of what the field is. And so students will come to us and take a cluster with a criminal justice, human services, a pathway of the School of Petroleum and Natural Gas, healthcare pathways, et cetera, just to get some exposure. Those classes, we have, we have transfer agreements everywhere, like students you know, will transfer credits to Pepperdine or to Catholic University or to Penn State or Ohio State. They transfer everywhere. And then, um, so they, they become an alum of us, whether they actually complete a degree with us or not. They've taken all of these clusters of credits. They're transferring them, whether they're staying with us or going someplace else. They're saving on college tuition like crazy. And they're getting exposure in a way that they have not had before in terms of discipline. The secondary um, and what has become maybe the most important piece of level up is that they become familiar with what it is to be a college student. So they understand what it means to go to the bursar's office. I didn't even know what a bursar was, right? You know, so, so how do you go to the business office? How do you navigate financial aid? Which is a whole, I mean, that's, you need a master's degree to, to figure out how to fill out a FAFSA, right? Um, they understand what it's like to go to advising. They understand how to formulate relationships. And probably most importantly, and what, what these kids tell us is the ability for time management 
and understanding how to manage and navigate time is really important because they're taking a full load of courses at their high school, right? These kids are ambitious. You know, they're taking high school credits. They may be athletes. They may be working part-time and they're still taking college credits. So that program, when we, when we submitted that as a, to, to Fast Company Magazine. Honestly, we just thought we'd get some feedback on the application and see if we could apply again next year. When we actually were named one of the world's most innovative companies for the corporate social responsibility category, you know, Microsoft is number one and Lackawanna College is number nine. Like, that's kind of, that's you know, cool. just a really interesting thing to yeah. see. Um, that told us that we were on the right track. And so we've accelerated the pace of of how to scale level up. We've added programs. We've added high schools. We have high schools from all over the country now asking us to participate in level up. And so we're, we're, we're beginning to, to learn how to scale that program, but it's, it's remarkable in its effects, both in terms of tuition and skills, life skills to make students successful as they, as they transition out of high school. Is that, hopefully that explains it a little bit. I think that, that explained it. Uh, very well. You know, when you talk about, you know, I've learned a lot about, especially differentiators. You know, when you look at Lackawanna College, I mean, true differentiators that really separates you from other institutions, you know, because, you know, it's always easy to talk about, well, you have small classrooms, you have, you know, intimate settings on campus, which is all fine. That's all great. Oh, but boy, when you talk about these programs and then being able to integrate these programs and the practical nature of these programs in high schools, that is powerful. Yeah, it, it you know, we, when I transitioned to the presidency in 2020, I was very clear that I wanted to add a position to our cabinet. And that position is the Associate Vice President for Social and Economic Impact. Because our region needs that, right? It needs it. And that, that position is responsible in so many ways for not just relationship building, but for helping us track how we're having an impact. It's one thing to say you're having an impact. It's quite another thing to focus on how and what that return on investment is for the community, not for us, right? How is it affecting the community? We, we really believe in our, in our hearts and in our minds that our responsibility isn't just to make sure that the college survives and sustains as a great employer, as a place for students to go and get a college degree, but to make sure that our students are great members of society and of the community and that the community is benefiting from the education we're providing. That's, that's the hallmark of our success. It, it's not just that we have money in our endowment and you know, we're, we're making tuition, our kids are going to eat at restaurants in the city, right? It's, it's much more than that. It's much deeper. Well, excellent. Well, Dr. Jill Murray from Lackawanna College, thank you so much for your time. This has been a true pleasure. Thank you, Bradley. This has been wonderful. I appreciate the invite and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.